Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. You know, I'm going to do something different for tithes and offerings. I know it may maybe make people feel a little more uncomfortable or whatever when we do it this way. Uh, but I felt the Lord tell me to do it the last couple of weeks this way because really, I want you to bring your gifts up. Uh, I'm going to go over a few things the Lord told me. Kind of just build your faith. Uh, because there's something significant that takes place when you act in faith. Amen. All throughout the Bible, you see people acting in faith. You saw the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she didn't just believe Jesus was the healer and sit in her house. She actually stepped forward. She actually, there was an action. There was movement. There was momentum where she went and acted on the thing that she had believed. You see that all throughout uh, the ministry of Jesus. You know, the man with the crippled hand, he said, stretch out your hand. Well, the man could have just sat there and, well, I guess I don't need to. I believe it's true. No, he had to stretch out. He had to put an action behind what he believed. And by his faith, he was healed. Uh, so I'll give you basically as we go into our tithe, I want to just share three things. There's three things that are happening when we tithe. Three spiritual laws that are in, uh, in effect when we tithe and we give offerings. Number one, I'm just going to give these to you quickly. Uh, you have the law of recognition. So the law of recognition, this comes from Genesis 14.20. I'm not going to read all of these to you, but you can write them down. Genesis 14, 20. This was the first tithe that's ever recorded in the Bible. Uh, actual tithe, 10% tithe that I'm talking about. And so basically, as I mentioned last week, there's a law when you study the Bible that's called the law of first mention. As you read the Bible, you want to look back when you're studying like a subject. If you want to study blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices right in the Bible, in the Old Covenant, you want to look back to the first... Uh, instance that it took place because in the, in, the, in the law of first mention, there's so many things that the Lord reveals to us through the law of first mention in the Word of God. So Abraham was the first one to tithe in Genesis 14, verse 20. And, and I shared this last week, but Abraham, uh, you know, he had just won a great victory. And so he comes out and he has this huge victory where, where he gets all these spoils and the Lord blesses him. And he has these flocks and these herds and these gold and the silver. Uh, and he ends up giving a tenth of it to Melchizedek. And the reason for that was the reason for that was uh, in those times, the ancient people, what they would do, not just Christians or, you know, people that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the actual God. But whenever they would go into a village and, and, and plunder a village and have victory, they would actually sacrifice a tent to their deity, even if it was a pagan god. Why would they do that? Because they believed that it was their deity that was the one that gave them that victory. Right. Amen. And so Abraham actually brought this into biblical terms, into a biblical example in Genesis 14, 20. He won this great victory. And he took 10% of everything that he had acquired and he tithed and gave it to the high priest Melchizedek. And so there's a law in this. Say recognition. What's the first thing that's happening when we tithe? Number one, we are giving God recognition for everything that he's brought into our possession. That's 
That's the fundamental first and foremost reason a thing that you need to have in your heart is, Lord, I know your word says that you'll bless me when I do this. And that's great. And he will do it. Amen. But the reason that I do this isn't just because I'm trying to get you to bless me and I'm trying to get more. The first reason that I do this is I do it out of recognition. I know that you were the one that delivered these resources into my hand. Amen. Every job that we have, Lord, I know that you're the one that opened the door for me to have this opportunity. I know that you're the one that brought these finances into my possession. And so I'm actually going to lay something down and act on a spiritual law of recognition and say, Lord, I recognize that it came from you. Not me, not self-pride and human pride. It came from you, Lord. Say recognition. recognition. Second thing that's happening when we tithe and give offerings is thanksgiving. Say thanksgiving. This is modeled in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. This was with Jacob. This is funny because both of these examples were before the law of Moses. Amen. The reason I, I say that is because a lot of Christians don't engage in this aspect in giving because they believe, you know, that was a part of the law. And really, if you study the Bible, you see that it wasn't. It, people did this before the law was ever even given. Amen. So why did Jacob give? You know, he also gave out of recognition, but he gave out of thanksgiving. If you read in Genesis 28, Jacob made a vow before the Lord and he said, as you supply me, I will give you a tenth of everything that you bring into my possession. So basically it's the same thing, but I just want to put another layer, another element to it. That Jacob would say, Lord, as you increase me and provide for me on my journey, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that comes in just to show my gratitude and my thankfulness for what you've given to me. Amen. Uh, and so, again, it kind of ties together with recognition. But when we tie, that's also what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, thank you for everything that you've given me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, entitlement is just pride. And I think that. I know there's a lot of that in Christianity today. There's a lot of that in the church today. We need to give God recognition and thanks. The third spiritual law that happens when we tithe is faith. Can you say faith? faith. Again, the Bible says faith without action in the, in the book of James is dead. So what is this? If, if there's not action behind what you call faith, it's not faith. Right? If faith is just something that you believe in your head or you say that you believe... Well, I'll just say it like that. If faith is something that doesn't cause you to, to, to have a corresponding action, then it's not actual. You don't actually believe. You just say that you believe. Right. Amen. Because the Bible says true faith provokes action. Faith without works is death. Right. So what are we doing also when we tithe? We're taking a portion of what we could use, Right. You take 10%, God gives you 100% of your income, and you take 10% of that, and you say, Lord, could I use this 10%? Absolutely. Could I put this towards a bill? Absolutely. Could I put this towards something that I've been saving up for? Absolutely. But Lord, I'm actually going to take this, something that, that I may feel like I need, or I could use for something else, and I'm going to lay it down in recognition. I'm going to lay it down in thanksgiving. And by doing that, that is an action of faith. You know, the Hebrews 11 says it's by faith that we receive all that God has promised us. Amen. You know, that really uh, 
Because I think there's a lot of people that say they have faith, but there's never any action of faith. And God, you know, I want to be careful on how I say this, because there's several elements that are in play with this. But, you know, God doesn't actually need our money. Do you know that? I want to say this as well, though, that God, God blesses people to bless his servants. It's really true. God blesses people. You look at the story of Elijah. We look at Malachi chapter three. Uh, everybody knows that. That's the classic tithing verse. Bring your tithe to the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. We never really think about what does that mean? There'll be enough food in my temple. What was the food for? It was actually for feeding the priests in the temple. And so actually the Lord was rebuking his people because he said, you know, you guys have these fine homes and this luxurious life and all of this blessing, but yet you neglect my servants, you neglect my priests, you neglect my house. Amen. Uh, and so faith, it's by faith that we receive all that God has promised us. Without faith, we can receive nothing from the Lord. So God doesn't actually need our money, though he uses it to accomplish his purposes and bless his servants on the earth. But it's not just about like God receiving our money in heaven and him putting it in a heaven account. OK, you know, the American dollar has a lot of value up here in heaven. It's not about that. It's about faith. Amen. Guys, and I can tell you, talk is cheap. We can say we believe something all day long, but faith isn't just saying you believe it. That's part of it. It's action. Say action. So when you take something that costs you and you lay it at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. What I could use, and I'm actually going to believe that you're going to supply me. Amen. I'm going to take 10% of this 100% that you've given me and actually believe that not only will I survive off of 90%, but you'll actually increase me and prosper me. Hallelujah. That, That actually doesn't make sense, does it? The world tells you if you want to get ahead, what do you need to do? Take. Hoard. Hold on to this thing. Store up. But in the kingdom, what did Jesus say? Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured it back into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you receive. That's his words, exactly. Amen. Put the ways that you can give on the screen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're joining us online. You can do this as well. I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Uh, Lord, I don't know. Do you want me to say that? You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I truly believe. Did you know statistically? And, and I'm telling you, I tell my wife this all the time. I said, I wish that there was messages I could preach not being the pastor of a church. Because people automatically just begin to question why you're saying things. Like you're just saying that because you want to try to get something from me. I, I promise you, I swear to you that that's not true. I wish that I could like step outside of myself and be some random dude named Billy Bob and come up and take up the tithe and offering and then walk away and say, this has not, you know, this, this, there's no part of this that has any play in my life whatsoever. This is just solely the word of God. But Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. So here's the thing. Did you know that only four out of every 100 Christians statistically tithe? You can't receive anything from the Lord if your heart's not engaged. Why do we have such a hard time 
seeing the ministry of the Lord and powerful effect in the body of Christ right now, especially in the United States of America? Well, there's several reasons, but I can tell you one reason, because our treasure actually shows where our heart is. And if all we do is store up our treasure in the world, and there's no part that goes to recognition of God or thanksgiving to God or, 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 or actually funding something that the Lord is doing on the earth, we can say, I love Jesus all day long, but our treasure actually shows where our heart is. You know, and I'll say this. You're going to give. Oh, now that I already said it, Lord, if it offends people, it offends people, right? You're going to give to what you value in your life. If you like doing something, you're going to put money towards it. Am I right? If you have a hobby, you're going to put money towards it. You're going to give for what, to what you value. Why do you think that 96 out of 100 Christians don't actually give to their local church? Because they don't actually value the ministry that they receive from it. It's, I'm telling you, it's true. It's harsh, but it's 100% true. Uh, and if you don't value, this is that law of recognition. You cannot receive the ministry of the Lord. Amen. I'm sorry if that was confrontational, but it's the truth and the Lord wanted me to say it. So I did. Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you, you guys can take a minute. We'll play some music. Come up and, and bring your tithes and offerings. If you're going to give that way, we have a square you could use in the back or you can give any of those ways. But let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you. We stand on your word. Lord, we want to give this portion to you this morning in obedience to your word recognizing that you have given us everything that we have. You have blessed our households, Lord. You have increased us. You have multiplied us. All the provision that we have right now, it came from you. Even if we think that it's little, it still, it came from you. And Lord, we know that your word says that those who are faithful with little, even more will be given to them. So Lord, we thank you for that. Even if it seems insignificant in our eyes, it's not insignificant. It, it, it's not about a dollar amount. It's about a principle of obeying your word and honoring you and showing you thanksgiving. Lord, we love you so much. We just pray that you receive this. Let our hearts be right. You say that you love those that give cheerfully. Let us give this morning from what we have with a cheerful heart, with a happy heart. Happy to do it because you've blessed us and also confident that you promised that you would increase us and multiply us as we did this, uh, this action in obedience to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Y'all take a moment, stand to your feet. Uh, if you have a tithe or offering you'd like to give, you can do that. Everybody else, just take a moment, greet somebody once again, and we'll get into the word of God in just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, to everybody else, as you're doing that, I'm going to uh, get into the message this morning. So, let me just start by reading this scripture, and I'm not going to get into the importance of it. I covered it last week, 
But let me say this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. It says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Do not scoff at prophecies. Can you say prophecies? You know, the Lord's really pressed upon my heart. When you look at the early church, this is what you saw happening. When you read what Paul laid out in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, when you come together, one will prophesy. One will speak a word of encouragement. One will give a message in tongues. One will give an interpretation. You actually saw the, the Holy Spirit moving through the different members of the body. You know, and Kenneth Hagin wrote in one of his books that we've been doing, uh, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. He says in the olden days, in the early church, and even, I would say, even in the last hundred years, Christians understood when they came to church, they didn't just come to receive, they came to give something. Amen. The Lord has given me a word. The Lord has given, put something in my, and they would allow themselves to be used by the Holy Spirit. But now we've kind of drifted into this place of, of it's just a one man type of thing, a spectator. We come in, we stick to the little timeline, and then we crank it out and you go out about your business. And guys, I'm telling you, that kind of church, it doesn't work. And it's actually not found anywhere in the Bible. Amen. Amen. We looked at prophecy last week and how even in the book of Acts, uh, there was a prophet. And again, if you want all these references, go back to the message and watch. But there was a prophet that, that in one of the meetings in the book of Acts, he stood up and predicted a great famine that was coming upon the Roman Empire. And so they actually, the church was able to plan and make provisions ahead of time before it happened. And so we talked about why prophecy is important in the church, how it edifies, it builds the house of God, how it strengthens, it encourages. Hallelujah. Uh, you know, the Bible also said in, in Acts chapter 2 that in the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will dream, uh, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will prophesy, your son and daughter alike will prophesy. Say prophesy. So prophecy is a part of the New Testament church. I say all that to say, and with the scripture that we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. You know what stifle means? It means to stop. It means to cut off. It means to throw a wet blanket on the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we do that a lot of times, right? We have our little structures and our order, and this is how things are going to be. And then the Holy Ghost begins to move, and we say, oh, Lord, you're not allowed to do that, right? And we cut them off, and we stifle the Holy Spirit. And I think that it's interesting that it specifically says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit, specifically do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Uh, so let me say this. When a prophetic word comes forth in a church, it must be allowed to be given. And if somebody gives a word and it's way off, then it needs to be corrected by the word of God. You know, if somebody stood up, and let me just say this as well, and we'll get into some of this. When you give a word, everything must flow through the lens of the Bible. Everything must be interpreted through the Scripture. You don't just get up and say, oh, I have a dream or I had a word and I'm going to tell you some weird meaning and it's nowhere in the Scripture. You throw that stuff out. Everything has to flow through the Word of God. Hallelujah. And so I'll give you an example. Somebody stood up and said, 
hey, the Lord told me He came to me in a dream and said that He's going to come back May 24th of 2027. Well, what would we say? Hallelujah, love you, brother, but you're completely wrong because the Bible says that no man knows the hour, no man knows the day, not even the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. So through the Word, we could say, no, that's not legitimate. You see what I'm saying? So we have to allow prophecies to be given and then we interpret it through. We let the Word of God interpret the Word of the Lord. So we had a brother that had a dream from the Lord and it it wasn't just, he he shared it with me and I'm going to let him share it again in, in just a moment. But it wasn't a dream that just pertained to him or his life. It was actually for the church. And you'll, you'll see that as he shares it. Uh, he's going to take about five minutes and share it. And then we're going to teach some of the things that I think the Lord is saying through the word that, that was revealed in this dream. So Tristan, go ahead and come on up. Hallelujah. If you will, make sure you swallow this mic. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, like I said, I was just going to recount it. Uh, so the dream that I had, I saw a box, and it was and it was in a field. And the box was large, and it had a removable top. And I imagined that there was latches that you could actually lock the box down. And there was also a hole in the bottom of the box, and it, it went to a destination. Um, and then there was a bag of seed also in the box. And what I, what I thought was interesting was it was very specific in my dream. The bag is never removed. The seed is only taken out of the bag. And it is given to the workers for them to plant. And that seed is actually wheat. <laughs> Sorry. So then suddenly, how do you do this? This is awful. <laughs> then suddenly I saw a different image. And I saw an image of God, and it was described in a building, in a house, a house set aside, and it was anointed for him. And these are just the words that that came to me in my dream, and I wrote them down. And and so it was anointed for him, and then it said to me again, it is the church. And then I saw a sight of anger in this image, and it was just wreaking havoc in, in... in the church. And so I saw, I then all of a sudden saw the box again. So I went from seeing the box to seeing this image of the church to seeing the box again. And I rose up from its belly out of the box and then I was looking at it. And I saw the anger again. And I saw the source of the anger. And it was these, impost- it was an imposter box that looked similar to the original box. And it had what I put as imposter seed. And it was planted in this field. And, and what the workers would do is they would rise up in the middle of the night and they would try and plant the seed as close as possible to the to the good seed in order to hinder the growth of that seed. Okay. 
it, it was there to actually cause that seed, if it would have stopped growing, for it to die. And it also made it a struggle for that seed to grow. It was, it was. Did it turn off? Look at it. Uh, yeah, so it made it a struggle for the. Hand me that one. Can you hear me? And it made it a struggle for that seed to grow. Change that battery for me. Yes, sir. All right. Well, if you were here last week, I'll, I'll break this down into two things. And I know this is a little un, untraditional, but, uh, well, I say untraditional. It's biblically traditional. Uh, but this was a word that the Lord gave to our, to our church. And I was talking with Tristan, and the Lord showed me two things. 
I want to take you to the Word about what he said specifically. First, we gave this last week. There was two sides to this dream that Tristan had for the church. Number one, it was a warning about people being sown into your life to destroy your faith. We gave that message last week. If you didn't get it, go back and watch it. Uh, because it specifically applies to you as a member of this church and those that are with us today that are watching. Number two, today we're going to talk about this. Warning about the issues that we must deal with in our own hearts. So in his dream, you know, there was basically two aspects. There was these, this field, this good box, this good seed with these rows that were being planted and sown. And it was good seed and it was growing. It was strong. But over here he saw this imposter box. It was an imitation. It looked like the real thing, but it wasn't the real thing. Uh, and out of that box came these worker to, workers of iniquity that came and sowed this bad seed right up against the good seed. Did you get that microphone changed? Batteries, come bring it to me, please. Thank you. Uh, right up against the good seed, the bad seed was sowed. Thank you. Here we go. And so last week we looked at the scripture that talks about the wheat and the tares go back and look at this but today i want to pull this out today we're going to talk about the warning about the issues that we must deal with in our own hearts so there was a warning that the lord said that you are going to have attacks that are going to come from the outside in and we looked at that but there's also things that we must deal with that come from our own hearts in this church in order to move forward and receive all that the lord has for us Amen. So listen to the word of the Lord this morning about the issues we must deal with in our own hearts. First, turn to Matthew 13, 1 through 9. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. The thing that stuck out to me and what we're going to talk about this morning was in his dream, he said that the seed was planted and its purpose was to choke out the good seed. So this is actually depicted in the Bible. We're going to let the Bible interpret what that means. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent... Sorry, that's Mark. Matthew 13. I don't know why I turned to Mark 13. So it says this, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake, and a large crowd soon gathered around him. And so he got into a boat, and there he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. He said, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Some seed fell along the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wiltered under the sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Can you say choked out? The thorns choked out the good plant. The thorns choked out the good seed. Can you say the thorns? This is what the Lord was depicting in this word that he's given for us as a church. So we need to look through the scripture and say, okay, what does the thorns represent? What well, Jesus is going to tell us in just a moment. But it says, uh, 
that it choked out the tender plant. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as what had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Guys, can I just make an observation? We have the responsibility to tend to our heart, to receive the Word of God. You cannot receive the Word of God casually. You cannot just go about your life and, 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 and as the Lord is just scattering seed and you go to church and, you know, well, if I hear something, I hear something. If I don't, I don't. And, and people already make up their mind to be offended sometimes. And so they, they totally miss the ministry of the Lord. There are so many different elements in play fighting to snatch the seed of the word of God that God is trying to sow into your life. Do you understand that? There are so many things coming at you to still kill and destroy the seed that the Lord has planted in your life. So let's skip down to verse 18. Let's look what Jesus said. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away that seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed... And guys, just take that as well. Did you know the moment that you receive the word of God, the enemy immediately attacks trying to strip that word from you? Say immediately. The enemy was the first attacker against the seed of the word of God. So you need to live with that expectation. When God begins to do something in your life, don't think it's just going to be easy breezy without trials and persecutions and and things that you're going to walk through, you need to recognize beforehand the immediate attack of the enemy coming to snatch that seed that the Lord planted in your heart that was going to grow and produce 30, 60, and 100 fold what he planted in you. Amen. Amen. So, it says... The seed that fell on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long and they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So there's actually another class of people. There's a class of people that the Bible says that they receive the word of the Lord with joy. They come in and they get the word of God. and Oh, hallelujah. That's amazing. Praise God. They get so excited about it. But here's the thing. They never take that word and allow it to go deeper. So not only do we have a responsibility to receive the word of the Lord, we actually have a responsibility to take that word and let its roots grow down deep in our lives. You know, the Bible says just as you receive Christ, you must continue to follow him. Guys, you know what this looks like? It looks like Christians need to begin to have a relationship with the Lord past just Sunday morning. God's got to speak to you every day. The things that the Lord puts in your spirit, even in services like this, because I want to tell you, you know, and it happens to me sometimes as well, but I can get where the spirit of God is. And then all of a sudden somebody can be preaching, but the Lord just starts speaking to me. It's like when I get around the river, I just start receiving things from the Lord. You need to hold on to those things and you need to meditate, get into the word and allow that seed of what God is speaking to you to go deep down within and actually come up and produce something in you. 
But when we just leave here and we're, we're sitting here looking at, well, is it 12 yet? You know, Taco Bell's line's going to get long. You're going to completely negate and miss the word of the Lord. And that seed's going to be destroyed. Are y'all still with me this morning? Uh, and I'll also say this too. Look at this. As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, they fell away. You know, if you don't have your roots rooted down deep, that's exactly the second that you're tested. You see that. People love the Lord as long as they're on what we know we call the mountaintop. And I'm not trying to preach to you that you got to go through the valleys and it's up and down. And I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, guys, we will face trials in this earth. We will face persecution. Especially in the time that we live in, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, many will turn away from me and betray and hate one another. And you'll be dragged into courts. You'll be murdered. You'll be killed. There will be a great wave of persecution that hits the church in the last days. We're living in these last days. So Christians need to begin to expect persecution. Are y'all with me? And so the thing about this is, You know, that's what happens is as long as everything's good, my bills are paid, I'm good. My kids are not sick, I'm good. You know, my sink doesn't break, I'm good. I don't get a flat tire, I'm good. But then the second anything comes up in that person's life because they don't have deep roots in the Word of God, that seed is just snatched away. Amen. You know, so I don't know. I think the Lord is just building us up to this place where we as Christians, we have to get back to the responsibility of getting the word rooted down inside of us. Husbands, get the word rooted in your homes. Get the word rooted in your children. Read and meditate on the word of God every single day. Build your life around the word of God. Get your roots to grow down deep in this word. So let's keep reading. It says... The seed that fell among the thorns. This is what I really want to preach about. Say the thorns. The thorns is what choked the tender seed that we just read about. This is what directly applies to the word that the Lord gave us. So look what he says about the thorns. It says the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. So this is what the thorns represent. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. What message is God trying to get to the church this morning? He wants to talk to us this morning about the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. Amen. Amen. There was a word that the Lord gave a member of this church and said, there is seed that's being planted right against the good seed that I've sown. And it's designed to choke that good seed out. And what that seed, that bad seed is, is the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. That we have got to get out of the church. That we have to look at these issues within our own hearts this morning. Can we do that? Y'all still with me? Sorry, we've been building this foundation. And, and so, uh, look at this. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much had been planted. You ever meet somebody like that? 
They get on fire for the Lord and it's like they're constantly just getting revelation from God. Maybe you have been in that place before. Someone gets on fire. I love Miss Debbie. She's texting me all the time because she's just like getting all this revelation from God. You know, that's not something that's just special. God doesn't just give that to special people. It actually can be for everybody. But if we would tend to our own hearts, God is constantly sowing. And I'll say this as well. You should constantly be putting yourself in a place where seed is being scattered. You know, most Christians that are still trying to live off of something God did 10 years ago, it's because they, I guarantee if you look at their life, they stop going to church, they stop pressing in, they stop hearing the word of the Lord, and seeds was stopped being scattered in their life. And now they're still trying to eat from a tree that's been dead and gone for a long time. So you have a responsibility to constantly fill yourself with the seed of God's word. Amen. We talk about that. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why it's so important as a believer for you to be connected with other believers, for you to be going to church, for you to be listening to preaching and teaching, for you to be turning on your phone because we have this amazing technology in 2021, listening to podcasts, listening to people deliver the word of God because seed is going out. But it's not just enough to get yourself around it. You have another responsibility to tend to your own heart to receive the word of the Lord. Amen. Guys, this, is, this shows you that it, it, actually according to this, it doesn't matter how good a church is. Because somebody can come all day long and have a bag of seed thrown and smack them right in the face. And if their heart, if the rocks aren't cleared from their garden, if the thorns aren't cleared from their garden, if they don't take that word and allow it to get deep roots, that word just gets snatched away. Are y'all still with me? So, the other seed fell among the thorns and it grew up and choked them out. That word choke, say choke. That means to suffocate. Look at verse, okay, let's look at... Uh, I'm going to read it to you in the New King James because I think it says it better. This is verse 22. Matthew 13, 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. Say the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches. Say the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and become unfruitful. I like the way the New King James breaks it down because when you study the Greek words used here, it's closer. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. So this is a word from the Lord this morning telling us that we need to get these two things out of our hearts. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Let's break those two things down. Number one, say the cares of this world. What is the cares of this world? What does that mean? What's the Bible talking about? The cares of this world choke the seed of the word of God out. I'm going to break this down into two things. I heard money. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Two things. Number one, the cares of this world means you care what the world thinks. You still have cares for this world. Can I read you some scripture this morning? Look at James 4.4. It says this, you adulterers, adulterers, think of that. Think of that word adultery. 
You know, adultery is different than fornication. It's not just two people hooking up. Adultery is when somebody that's actually in a marriage covenant goes outside of that marriage covenant. That's what adultery is. And that's the word that the Lord used. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? So the Lord actually said when we as Christians engage in a relationship with the world, it's like committing adultery against the Lord. You think about that. Because we are in a blood covenant with God. Don't you understand? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So can I just make a simple observation? We actually cannot be friends of God and friends of the world at the same time. I'm not talking about loving the people of the world. I'm talking about the spirit of this world. The system of this world. The society of this world. Let me read it to you in the Amplified. You adulteresses. It says you disloyal sinners flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is loving the things of this world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. So what's the cares of this world is people are still trying to win the world's approval. Y'all are being awfully quiet this morning. Are y'all receiving what I'm saying to you? Christians trying to win the world's approval. Still trying to be friends. Still, I know Christians that are afraid to take a stand against blatant wickedness that is happening right now. Because why? They're still trying to engage in this friendship. Trying to get the world to like them. Trying to get the spirit of this world to accept them. Trying to appease that spirit. You cannot do both. Amen. So it's talking about people that are stuck trying to win the world's approval and can't function without that. Church is still trying to win the world's approval. Man, you know what? You know how many churches today wouldn't talk about the tithe and the offering? Even though it's in the Bible. Do you know why? Because it makes people uncomfortable. But it's in the Bible. And it's taught. And it's something that they practice in the New Testament. We don't want to talk about it. Why? Well, because people don't like that. Don't you realize that you cannot be a friend of this world and a friend of God? You actually will never fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny still trying to be a friend of this world. Do you believe that? you know that? Your God-given purpose and destiny, the way that the Lord wants to use you, you have to die to the, the cares of this world. You have to come to a place where you say, Lord, I don't care if I'm rejected. I don't care if I'm persecuted. And we'll get into this in just a moment. Actually, let me go ahead and just read this to you. Look what Paul said. In Galatians 6.14, as for me, he said, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Paul wasn't talking about the spirit, I mean the people. Paul was saying, guys, let me tell you something. 
My interest in the things of this world has died and its interest in me has also... I, I don't care for the world and it doesn't care for me. You know that we have to cross that bridge as believers? Will we stop trying to appease all of this ridiculousness in, that's going on right now? Look at John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would also listen to you. You know what Jesus said? The world hates you because you don't belong to it. So can I, give you, can I tell you something? If the world doesn't hate you, what does that mean? That you probably still belong to it. I told uh, somebody recently that if you're a Christian in 2021 and you're not receiving some sort of pushback or persecution, you're not taking a stand. It's just true. Because, there, again, there's so many Christians that are afraid to talk about you know, wicked things, the abortion that's happening in our country, the lies that are happening. And, and I'm not just focusing on our country, but they're so afraid to say anything because they're still trying to win approval. Jesus said, you don't belong to this world. If the world loves you, it's because you don't belong to it. So let me just say this. Number one, the cares of this world, caring what the world thinks, will choke the seed of the Word of God out of you. Because the second that the Lord begins to speak to you, and tell you, this is who you're going to be. This is what you're going to do. You all of a sudden have this resistance where you say, Lord, I can't be that. And I can't do that because I have way too many friends that are going to look at me and think that that's stupid. And they're going to reject me. And now I'm sitting here on this fence where I know in my spirit who I'm to be and what I'm to do. But yet I'm dealing with this conflict that I don't really want to give into it because I'm still trying to, to please everybody and be approved of everybody. You have to absolutely die to that. That to receive the word of the Lord. Amen. The Lord is telling us this this morning because it needs to be dealt with. Uh, so the cares of this world, the second part of, of, of this. So there was two parts. Number one, he said the cares of this world. Say the cares of this world. Cares of this world. So what does that mean? It also means this, the worry about the things of this life. So in, in Matthew 13, 22, In Matthew 13, 22, where he said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message was crowded out by the worries of this life. That word worry actually means anxiety. Say anxiety. I want you to flip over to Matthew 6, 25.
Matthew 6, 25. Did you know that the Bible tells us that we are not to worry about the things that we need in life? Amen. Look what Jesus said. Let's just read the scripture. Matthew 6, 25, he said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in their barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So hold on, let me just stop and say this, guys. The, the Lord is saying this because this revelation needs to get in the body of Christ where we know that God will provide for us. Amen. He said, don't worry about the things of everyday life, what you eat, what you drink, the house that you live in, the car that you drive. Look at this. Look at verse 28. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So the Lord literally tells us that the problem is never that God will not provide. The problem is we don't have faith that God will provide these things. Amen. Why do we have such little faith? That's the question. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers and your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Guys, can I tell you, we are coming into a time where the church needs to live with this revelation that my God will supply my needs. When we're coming into a time where they tell you things like if you don't take a vaccine, you're not going to have a job. The church has got to have a revelation. My God will supply my needs needs. It's not a matter of if God will do it. The, 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 the question is, will I truly believe that God will supply everything that I need from the food that I'm to eat, from the bills that I'm to pay, from the car that I'm to drive? I don't have to worry about those things. Amen. The Lord needs to get this in this church. Stop worrying about these things and get into faith. God will supply for you. David said, I was once young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen his, his seed begging for bread. Guys, listen to the way that we talk about what am I going to do? I got this coming up. I got this due. And, and we're just we mope around. We're depressed all the time about money and we're dominated by money. The Lord said, why do you have such little faith? Don't you know that I'll provide for you? Hallelujah. I don't know if anybody in this room believes a word that I'm saying because y'all are being so quiet. Does anybody believe that? Yes. The Lord is going to provide for you. Amen. 
You don't have to be pushed around. You don't have to be bullied. You don't have to be forced out of your job. You know, if they force you out of your job, who cares? Hallelujah. The job is not your provision. God is your provision. In the same way that He made a way for you the first time, He'll make a way for you again. Just like Elijah. He fed him by the raven. He, the, the ravens flew in the meat. And he drank from the brook Kareth. And the moment that the provision dried up, the Lord immediately led him to another place. So hallelujah. guys, I'm telling you right now, Christians need to learn to not live by the numbers in their bank account. Hallelujah. Not to be dominated, not to worry about those things. You need to learn that it is impossible for me to run out of provision. Do you have that in your spirit? Get it in your spirit today. It is impossible for me to run out of provision according to the word of the Lord. It is impossible for me to lose my house. It is impossible for me to lose my car. It is impossible, according to the word of the Lord, for my bills and my needs to not be met. He said this is the way that unbelievers think. You know, I think that it's also time that Christians come into the realization that they're in covenant, a blood covenant with the Most High God. That God has sworn things to us by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He didn't just make a declaration and write it in ink. He wrote it in the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The most precious substance in the universe. He swore by the blood of His own Son. And the Bible says in Numbers 23 that He's not a man that He should lie. That He always accomplishes everything that He's set forth. You believe that? Say, God will provide for me. Say, God's my provider. You know, there's so many Christians, they won't do what the Lord told them to do because they're dominated by this. They're dominated by money. They're, they're chasing after a paycheck. Just trying to work for somebody else. And the, I'm going to tell you right now, whenever the Lord opened the door for us to become ministers at this church, you know, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but supernaturally, God led us right to this place. And I had a good, a decent job. Uh, a, a good job. People were proud of the job that I had. The Lord opened up the door. And, and I remember, you know, there was another pastor here. He had actually offered me pretty much pennies. He said, I want you to come be my youth pastor. And it, did, and it didn't really make sense at all. It actually made zero financial sense. My wife actually had just lost her job, uh, not due to being fired because the business was just closing down and they were dissolving and she was pregnant with Emberly. It did not make sense. But I'm telling you now, I'm so glad that I followed the voice of the Holy Spirit and not the money. I'm so glad that an opportunity came up that looked like no provision whenever I could have came over here and done all this other stuff to make all this money. But the voice of the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go here and I want you to trust me. And through that obedience, the Lord opened door after door after door after door. And guys, we're just barely getting started. Looking back from, from a higher perspective, I'm able to see what the Lord has done just in my own life. And I'm telling you right now, you'll never be who God's called you to be. And you'll never do what God's called you to do if you're a slave to money and you're a slave to mammon. 
Because God will tell you to go places that take faith to go. You know that anything the Lord tells you to do, it will take faith to do it. You know what faith is? It says we walk by faith and not by sight. Why would the Bible say that? Because about 99.9% .9 of the time, the thing that He's asking you to do scares the hell out of you. Literally, I, I mean that literally. Like it, it, it's, it, It'll scare the devil right out of you. You get on your knees and pray and repent and beg the Lord to help you because you're like, this just does not make sense. Lord, I absolutely need you to show up. I need you to do something. Because I, I want to tell you this as well. You can't be in faith and have plan B and, be in, and have plan C. There's only plan A. Lord, I put my total trust in You. If I don't eat, it's because You don't feed me. If I die, it's because You didn't take care of me. And I want to tell you, the righteous have never been forsaken. Amen. Ever. Are y'all with me this morning? Yeah. So the worry about the things in this life actually cut off the Word of God from growing into full fruition in your life. And I love this. We'll, we'll come back to this verse as well in a second, but it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Say, above all else. Above, all else. above everything in your life, seek the kingdom of God. And look what Jesus promised. And He will give you everything that you need. Amen. Guys, in this context, He's talking about food, He's talking about clothing, He's talking about the things of, that pertain to everyday life. So we're not, we're not stretching the Scripture to say that Jesus said, if you'll just pursue after My kingdom above everything else, I'll give you the money that you need. I'll give you the clothes that you need. I'll give you the house that you need. I'll give you everything that you need. Are you all with me still? Okay, let's keep moving on. i got a few more minutes I want to share with you. So He said, in Matthew 13.22, He said it was the... What did we say? Number one. The cares of this world was the thorns. And then now number two, the lure of wealth. Can you say the lure of wealth? Turn to Matthew 6, 19-24. What does the lure of wealth mean? We were just actually reading that. Matthew 6, 19. I want to emphasize 19 through 24 one more time. So he says this. Don't store up treasures here in heaven where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where your thie where thieves break in and steal them. Store up your treasures. I'm sorry, don't store up your treasures here on earth. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. We'll keep reading this, but number one, what does it mean? The lure of wealth is the thorn that will cut off and choke out the Word of God. Number one, it means to chase after money. So we just read in Matthew 6 where Jesus said, don't live a life where your focus is storing up treasure on earth, but in heaven. He'll in interpret this a little bit more. 
He said, your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Can I tell you something? What is your eye? What does that represent? If I look, if my eyes lock on to Miss Kim, what am I focusing on? Miss Kim. If my eyes focus on that flag, I'm focusing on that flag. If your eye, he said, if your eye is healthy, if your focus is healthy, if your attention is healthy, if your pursuit in life is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your attention, your focus, your pursuit, your whole body will be filled with darkness. That means that if our body is filled with darkness, what does that mean? If our life is filled with oppression, that means that our focus is in the wrong place. What's the word of the Lord simplified? Guys, it's the hour for Christians to get their eyes on the kingdom. Nothing else matters. He said, isn't life more than food and clothing? Guys, right now there's so many Christians that that's the life that they're chasing after is just the bigger house and the faster car and, and this like these stupid things that when we stand before Jesus Christ, they're not going to matter at all. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have a part that God has for you to play. And you need to figure out what that thing is and give yourself to it completely and go in faith that God will provide for you your earthly needs. So the eye is your focus. Say my focus. My focus. The lure of wealth. It, it, it's your focus. It's what, what are you pursuing after? Guys, I can't go to church. You know, I got this going on. I got, and we're just chasing after money. Our focus is in the wrong place. And I love what Jesus said. Seek the kingdom. Matthew 6.33. I'll read it again. Seek the kingdom above all else. Say all else. all else. And live righteously and He will give you everything that you need. Look at it in the Amplified. But first and, and most importantly, seek. It means aim to strive after His kingdom. Say strive after. Strive. His kingdom and His righteousness which it says in the Amplified, His way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And these things will also be given to you. Let's get to the last part of this message this morning. So the thorn that will choke out the Word of God is the pursuit of wealth, the lure of wealth, to chase after money. And then I want to look at the New King James. I love what it says. It says the deceitfulness of riches. That's a little bit different than just the lure of money. I, I love how it uses that word, the deceitfulness of riches. What is the deceitfulness of riches? Look at Job 21, 7-15. It's right before Psalms in your Bible. Job 21, 7-15. Job said, why do the wicked prosper? 
Why did the wicked prosper growing old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and, and never miscarry. They let their children frisk about the lambs, and their little ones skip and dance. They sing with tambourines and harps, and they celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity. Look at this, verse 13. But then they go down to the grave in peace. And yet, they say go, to God, go away. We want no part of you in your ways. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey Him? What good will it do for us to pray for Him? I want to read it to you, uh, verse 13 in the Amplified. It says, They enjoy their days in prosperity and so go down to Sheol, to Sheol, which is the netherworld, the place of the dead, and a peaceful moment. That was the Amplified. So what is the deceitfulness of riches? What's the Bible talking about? It's the false security that seem, the, the blessing provides. When I say the blessing, I'm talking like the seemingly blessing provides. Why do I need to pray when I have a good job? Why do I need to pray when I have a decent house? Why do I need to pray when I have a retirement that's set up? Why do I need to seek the Lord when things have really gone my way and my life's okay? Things aren't falling down. I told you guys Wednesday night that I had a friend. It was so hard to lead him to the Lord because he thought that Jesus was for the drug addicts. He had, a, you know, he had a good life and a, and a nice little life. Nothing ever really went wrong. His parents had the same job, the same house. And he thought, well, Jesus, that's for people that are like depressed and messed up. And he didn't understand that the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of repentance. We all need Jesus. But that's exactly what this is talking about. That mindset, it's the deceitfulness of wealth. Say the deceitfulness. That there's going to be people that are comfortable that spend their whole day in what we would call their whole life in prosperity and then they're going to die and go straight to hell and never saw it coming. Because they never saw a need. And I want to say this as well. You know, guys, most of the time it's tragedy that brings us to the point of repentance in our life. If you look at most people in their story, it was like, where did you find Jesus? Well, I found Jesus in a prison cell. Well, praise God. That's wonderful. Where did you find Jesus? Man, I found Jesus when I, was, I had a gun to my head and I pulled the trigger and it didn't happen. I found Jesus after I lost my wife and my family and lost everything that I had. The, you really see these similarities in these stories where people, it takes them coming to the end of themselves to really cry out and ask the Lord for help. But can I tell you, you don't have to wait until your life falls apart to get help from the Lord. You can actually recognize right now, I'm not going to be deceived. You know, it's really true. Why in the United States, you can have ministers come over that they go and hold crusades in Africa. This, I'm giving you an example. And they're having the dead raised. They're having deaf ears open. They're having blind eyes open. They're having the lame walk. The same minister, same anointing, same message comes to the United States of America and there's a, a fraction of the response. 
Somebody maybe gets healed of a headache. Why is that? There's faith, but I'm going to also tell you, in countries like that, there is no other health care option. Either I get healed or I die. Like the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she actually could have been stoned to death according to the law for entering into the city. What was her faith? Her faith is either Jesus is healing me and I'm, I'm touching him and I'm getting healed or I'm getting stoned to death. That was the point of her faith. There was no plan B. There was no plan C. The deceitfulness of riches keeps people in complacency where they never see their need for God. That's what the Bible talks about trusting in your riches. Look at 1 Timothy 6.17. I'm going to tell you this last point before I pray for you. What is the deceitfulness of riches? I'll add another layer to it. The deceitfulness of riches is actually the thought that riches will solve your problems. You know that there's people that they think that if I just had more money, that would solve all my problems. You know what the deceitfulness of riches is? If they got more money, they'd figure out real quick that it didn't actually solve their problems. Why don't you ask some of the millionaire rappers and Hollywood people that you ask them if their millions of dollars solved all their problems. Why they take a line of prescription medication because they don't feel anything, they feel numb, they don't want to live, they, they're suicidal. doesn't sound like it, it solved any of their problems. In fact, actually, without the Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 22, that the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. Amen. Whenever you get the... I want to tell you this, guys. Can the devil bring wealth into your life? No. I actually believe that he can. You know why? He offered it to Jesus. He actually took Jesus up to the top of the temple and said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They belong to me and I can give them to whoever I choose. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. But can I tell you what happens when you get wealth that comes from the world? It adds sorrow to your life. It adds problems. You're, the more money you have, the more problems you have. I'm, tell, I'm telling you the truth. But I'm not talking about money in general. There's a difference between the wealth that the world offers and the blessing of the Lord that will make a man rich and add no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord said the blessing. So the, the deceitfulness of riches is this thought that if I just pursue after money and I obtain it, then all my problems will be solved. So what do people do? What do fathers do? Well, I'm going to work seven days a week until it's midnight and I'm not going to spend time with my wife. I'm not going to spend time with my children because I love them. And I think that if I can just get that promotion and I can just get that money and I can just get to this higher place, then it will provide the life that I want and all my problems will be solved. Can I tell you, that's the deceitfulness of riches. Because you know what people find when they do that and they actually get there? Well, they got a promotion, but they lost everything else. Well, hey, hallelujah, Lord, I made $150,000 by the time I was 32, but now my kids are heathen and they don't serve the Lord because I spent no time with them. That's the deceitfulness of riches. I'll also read this to you, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Teach those who are rich in this world 
So I want to say this. The Bible never condemned a person being wealthy, but you, you have to know the proper, you have to have the proper attitude when it comes to money and wealth. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Say trust in their money. Which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Hallelujah. You know, money should be a thing where it's great if I have it, but the Lord's going to take care of me if I don't in the moment. He'll give it to me. Because look at the next line. Your trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Hallelujah. Teach people to not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. You know, I'm, I'm telling you guys right now that, that that's what people think. You say, well, I don't trust in money, but that's what we teach our children, right? You need to graduate. You need to go to a four-year college. You need to do X, Y, Z, because if you do these things, this equivalates to success. This equivalates to to prosperity, this equivalates to security. And can I tell you that my generation is growing up and actually realizing that it's not true. I have family members that have PhDs that were without a job for over a year. Yeah, still are. Not saying that hatefully, but I'm telling you that's not true. You know what we should be teaching our, our children? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He'll give you everything that you need. Guys, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I'm preaching this message because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of having my youth kids get on fire for God and come to me and say, I feel like the Lord's called me to preach, but I went home and my parents told me I'll never make any money being a preacher. I'll never have a good life. I need to go do these other things. Man, I'm so sick of that. That's so anti-biblical. That's so anti-the Word of God. Teach your children to seek after heaven with everything that they have, and that the God of heaven and earth shall supply everything that they need. And if they have faith and they walk obediently, they will not lack a day of their life. That's what we need to be teaching this generation. Not this thought that the, the rich, if you just have money, it will solve your problems. No, it sure won't. Look what 1 Timothy 6 9 says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Say snare. snare. Think of what is a snare? A snare was like a trap that would catch a small animal. It catches you. It, it, you're trapped. You're locked in. Now, now you're just waiting to be killed. The enemy uses the desire to be rich to snare you into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So again, this is the deceitfulness of riches. Is you'll go down a path thinking that money will solve your problems, and what you'll do is you'll forfeit the call of God for your life, only to get down that trail and realize that it didn't solve any of your problems, and now you've forfeited the call of God. And I want to say this, is anybody, can anybody repent at any time? Absolutely. You could do that your whole life and repent when you're 80 years old, but can I tell you something? There's one thing you can't get back. It's time. 
You can't get time. People are like, well, the Lord will forgive me of anything. You're right. He will if you repent. But there's some things that you just can't get back. Time with your family, you can't get back. Time with your kids, you can't get back. Your 20s, you can't get back. 30s, you can't get back. 40s, 50s, 60s, you can't get back. Guys, we only have one shot at this thing called life. And I love what Francis Chan says. He, he does this illustration where he had this rope that was you know, longer than these cords. It was just so long. And he said, this is eternity. And he starts pulling this rope and he just pulls it and pulls it and pulls it and pulls it. And then he grabs the end of the rope and he says, this rope is eternity. And this little, there was this little red spot on the rope. And he said, and this is your life on the earth. And he said, if you read the Bible, the Bible says what you do with this little red spot actually determines how you spend the rest of this. Seek first the kingdom above all else. So I hope that you received something from the Lord this morning because I'm going to conclude it with this right here. The Lord is warning us about the weeds because it will choke out His seed and His Word that is being sown if it's not tended to. The enemy is trying to plant that in this house. I don't know in what heart. This is just a warning that we need to heed from the Lord, that we need to look in our heart and ask the Lord, am I guilty of any of that? Ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Amen. Amen. Now let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I pray even though it was kind of difficult and, and, and us trying to navigate through what You're telling us. Lord, I pray that those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let them receive the Word of God this morning. Let it go into their hearts and their lives and produce 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Hallelujah. Thank You, Father, for destinies being changed. Thank You for paths being changed today. Thank You, Lord, for new decisions. Lord, You're redirecting people even in this room. As they leave this room, their focus, their mindset, things that they've been focusing on and pursuing after they've seen after today that their, their eye is unhealthy because it's focused on the wrong thing. Lord, I thank You that as we make adjustments and, uh, and act in obedience, You will help us. You will come alongside of us. I just declare the Word of the Lord, we shall lack nothing as a church. The members of this church shall lack no good thing. You shall provide all of our needs according to Your riches and glory. Father, You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. I thank You, Father, that we are a people of faith, that we're a people of obedience. And as we go out of here and begin to step into the thing that You've called us to do, You will be with us. You will go before us. You'll deliver it to us in our hand. And You'll give us victory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I love you guys so much. I want to just, uh, yeah, I was going to announce tonight. Uh, I forgot to give some announcements before service, but we have Brother Tanner, who's usually up here, our awesome announcement guy and youth pastor. He's, uh, he's ministering at another place this morning, bringing the word of the Lord and the fire of the Holy Ghost. So y'all be praying for him and standing with him. Tonight we have the gathering at six o'clock. Again, that's a believers meeting. It's not you know, it's not just a teaching meeting. It's, it's awesome. If you came to the last one, the Lord's going to do some amazing things tonight, six o'clock. And then I want to remind you that we have revival services, November 7th, 
with, uh, with David King, a minister that's coming in from Dallas and Fort Worth. He's going to be here 1030 in the morning, six o'clock at night. So I want you guys to get here. I want you to get your friends here, your unsaved family here. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time in the Lord. The Lord's going to do some awesome stuff. November 7th. You guys need to be here. Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.